Hi everyone, my name is Arjun Sharma and I want to welcome you to the History for the Future podcast, where I talk about people and events that shaped our lives and what we can learn from them. The aim of this podcast is to help you learn from history and make better choices in the future. One of the main reasons humanity is able to progress is because we learn from our mistakes and build on our successes. As long as we keep understanding our history, we will continue to make informed choices in the future and grow as people and as a species. This is made true in the quote that reads, if we do not understand our past, we are doomed to repeat it. The history of the United States is one full of great and inspirational leaders. Some great presidents such as John F. Kennedy, Dwight D. Eisenhower, and Abraham Lincoln have led us through great choices and great intentions. On the flip side, we have seen our share of controversial or even horrible presidents. Some that come to mind are James Buchanan, Andrew Johnson, and the infamous Richard Nixon, whose administration created the largest scandal in US history. Richard Nixon was born on January 9th, 1913 to Francis A. Nixon and Hannah Milhouse Nixon on the family Small Lemon Ranch in Yorba Linda, California. His parents were poor Quakers, despite the fact that his mother was descended from Ezra Cornell, the founder of Cornell University. Nixon had a textbook Quaker upbringing. His family refrained from drinking, swearing, and other such things. Richard would face many hardships throughout his early life. In 1922, the family ranch failed and they moved to Whittier, California. This place had many Quakers and his father opened a grocery store here. Later in 1925, Richard's younger brother, Arthur, died from illness. Arthur was only seven years old at the time of his death. After this, Richard would be left with three brothers, Donald, Edward, and Harold. Richard Nixon was a great student as a kid. He went to East Whittier Elementary School and later to Fullerton Union High School. He was class president in eighth grade, played junior varsity football, was an incredible debater and received great grades. Richard Nixon graduated from Whittier High School, graduating third out of 207 students. It was also here that he received his first debate loss and contracted tuberculosis. When the latter happened, he also gave up football. Richard was also described as being very hardworking. It is said that he would get up as early as 4 a.m. to buy vegetables at the market, and then he would even wash and peel them for the, sto- for the store before school. His hardworking nature and academic success earned him a tuition grant to Harvard but passed as he was needed at home. His illness also meant that he needed to be close to his mother, and so he attended Whittier College. At Whittier, Richard played on the basketball team, was a reportedly enthusiastic substitute on the football team. He was part of the Franklin's Library Society and founded the Orthogonian Society. He graduated with a bachelor's in arts degree in history and he also received a full ride to Duke University of Law. This was an incredibly competitive school that got more and more so as the years went on. He was one of the few among his peers to keep a scholarship throughout. On top of this, 
Richard was invited to be part of the prestigious Order of the Coif and was elected as president of the Duke Bar Association. Just like in high school, he graduated third in his class upon graduation in 1937. In 1937, Richard Nixon was also admitted into the California Bar. He ended up practicing with the law firm Wingert and Bewley. He worked as a practicing attorney before opening his own branch of Wingard and Bewley in La Arba, California. He became a partner and in his time was the only recent president to have worked as a practicing attorney. Before this, he also applied to the FBI and was accepted, but budget cuts on their end meant he did not find out until much later and it was canceled last minute for the same reason. In 1942, Nixon and his wife Thelma moved to Washington, D.C., and Nixon worked in the Office of Price Administration and later in the Tire Rationing Division. He was unhappy with these jobs, and the couple felt that he was unable to progress back in Whittier for the time being, so Richard decided to apply to the U.S. Navy. Richard was a Quaker from birth and so had a right to be exempted from the World War II draft, but he applied anyway. He was accepted and became a lieutenant junior grade. He aided the Air Force, but sought to be at sea, and so transferred to the Marine Aircraft Group 25 and SCAT, the South Pacific Combat Air Transport Command, in July of 1943. In October, he was promoted to the rank of lieutenant, where he commanded SCAT detachments, created flight plans, and did other such work that earned him the Navy Commendation Ribbon now known as the Navy and Marine Corps Commendation Medal. His commanding officer was quoted as saying, Richard earned the award through his, and I quote, meritous and efficient performance of duty as officer in charge of the South Pacific Command Combat Air Transport Command. He then returned to the US to work in the Almeida Naval Air Station and later in the Bureau of Aeronautics Office. He received another letter of commendation and transferred to many other sites, eventually ending up in Baltimore. In 1945, he was promoted to the rank of Lieutenant Commander, was relieved of active duty in March of 1946, was then com promoted to Commander in US Naval Reserve in 1953. He remained here until June 1966 when he retired from the Naval Reserve. He met his wife, Thelma Pat Ryan, when they were both cast in a play, The Dark Tower, which was produced by the local Whittier Community Theater. After being turned down by her many times, Pat agreed to date him. They dated for two years before marrying in a small ceremony. The couple settled in Whittier and later had two daughters, Tricia and Julie, born in 1946 and 1948, respectively. Before we continue, I have a quiz question to ask you. This week's question is, why is it called the Watergate scandal and how did the name inspire future scandals names? I will answer this question later. And for now, we'll go back to today's episode. Aside from his military career, Richard also had a flourishing career in politics. He served as the California congressman from 1947 to 1950, 
becoming the first Republican candidate in the few decades before to beat a Democratic nominee. In this position, he worked to oversee the power of unions, helped pass the Marshall Plan, and helped sponsor the the Munt-Nixon bill, which required communist members to register. It passed the House by a landslide, 319 to 58, but did not pass the Senate. He was also a member of the Education and Labor Committee, the Herder Committee, and the House Un-American Activities Committee. His work in HUAC brought him national attention. His persistence to keep investigating Alger Hiss for allegedly being a Soviet spy led to the uncovering of documents affirming this. Hiss was convicted and this allowed Richard to be easily reelected. Richard Nixon was an ambitious man and so would not stop here. He entered the 1950 Senate election running against Democratic candidate Sherdian Downey. Nixon's campaign revolved around relating his opponent's voting history and political ideology to communism. This caused him to quite easily win the election. As a member of the Senate, Richard Nixon spoke out against communism, against President Truman and his handling of the Korean War, and in favor of civil rights for minority groups. He was also in favor of making Alaska and Hawaii US states. In 1952, the Republican Party nominated General Dwight D. Eisenhower for president. Eisenhower chose Nixon as his vice president, and for the duration of the presidential race, he spoke positively and let Nixon do the talk on the negative. They faced one major problem, however, when a political fund which took care of Nixon's needs was revealed. But Eisenhower's decision to keep Nixon as his running mate combined with Nixon's speech addressing the issue, led to, their, led to their victory. As vice president, Nixon was given more work than any before him. He was heavily involved in foreign affairs and attended and even sometimes chaired cabinet meetings and national security council meetings. Nixon gladly completed these tasks and was described as the first modern vice president for his incredible contributions. In 1954, they lost control of both Congress houses, something that Nixon contemplated leaving politics for. He forewent these thoughts when President Eisenhower suffered a potentially life-ending heart attack. He was saved, but would not be able to return to his role for six weeks. As the 25th Amendment had not yet been passed, Nixon had no responsibility to work in Eisenhower's place. Despite this, he did. He hosted cabinet meetings and made decisions as president. And despite many opportunities to, he never made any attempts to seize power and gladly gave up his responsibility once Eisenhower was able to return. After Eisenhower won re-election in 1956, Nixon made more foreign visits. After a 1957 visit to Africa, he helped pass the Civil Rights Act of 1957 and convinced the president to sign it. Eisenhower suffered a small stroke in November of 1957 and Nixon kept the cabinet functioning once more. Nixon then made a visit to South America with his wife where they were routinely attacked by angry mobs. He later stated that they were led by communists. 
He was sent to Moscow in 1959 by President Eisenhower to meet with the Soviet First Secretary Nikita Khrushchev at the American National Exhibition. Here, the two debated about the benefits of their systems next to a kitchen exhibit. This was photographed as the famous kitchen debate. In 1960, Nixon ran for president against the young prodigy, John F. Kennedy. Nixon lost the popular vote by 0.2%. During this election, people saw the difference between Kennedy, who was described as young, photogenic, and popular, and the seemingly pale and weak Nixon. Despite confirmed voter fraud cases in two states Kennedy won, Nixon refused to acknowledge it, even though he might have won, believing that it would taint America's image. After he lost the 1962 governor of California election and announced that he was his end of his political career. He also wrote a book, book Six Crisis, where he talked about his time as vice president and California congressman. Nixon heavily blamed the media for making him seem like less than his opponent in 1962 and was even quoted as saying, you won't have Nixon to kick around anymore because gentlemen, this is my last press conference. His seeming departure from politics and the popular episode of ABC known as the political obituary of Richard M. Nixon caused people to grow in Nixon's support. In 1964, Barry Goldwater, an Arizona Senator, ran for president. He was a Republican and was, banked by, was backed by Nixon and many others. However, Goldwater was defeated in a landslide victory for Democratic Lyndon B. Johnson. Nixon was not blamed and instead sought to revive the Republican control in the 1966 House elections. As the 1968 presidential election drew nearer, Nixon decided to take part. He won the Republican nomination and his Democratic opponent would be Herbert Humphrey. Nixon appealed to the people by promising to end the war in Vietnam and bring peace in the Pacific. He also openly blamed the past Democratic administrations for giving up nuclear superiority. Despite this, he expected the race to be very close. He was right and won by only 0.7% of the popular vote. He also became the first non-incumbent pre vice president to become president. Richard Nixon was president from 1969 to 1974. During this time, he voiced his stance on many issues, so I'm going to touch on some of them now. First, Vietnam. The Vietnam War was unpopular with the people, and so Nixon sought to end it. He carried out secret bombing raids. He also tried negotiating with North, with North Vietnam, but to no success. In May of 1969, he decided to end U.S. involvement, and by 1973, all U.S. troops withdrew. After a brief ceasefire, the North took over the South in 1975. Second, the Soviet Union. On May 27, 1972, Nixon and the First Lady met with many Soviet officials in Moscow, including Lionel Brevichev and Nikolai Pagami. They held a summit where the SALT I and Anti-Ballistic Missile Treaty were signed. These limited nuclear weapons for both nations. 
Nixon made great successes and returned to Moscow in 1974 to cheering crowds. He proposed more plans, but would not have time to execute them in his presidency. Finally, China. Nixon made it clear that he wanted to strengthen US-China relations. In 1971, the first major event occurred when Mao Zedong, the Communist Party's chairman, allowed the US table tennis team to meet with China's top players. Nixon then sent Kissinger to China as well. And in July of 1971, Nixon announced to the world that he would visit China in February of 1972. Nixon only allowed TV producers and reporters to accompany them and made a point of shaking Zhao Enlai's hand, something John Dulles had refused to do in 1954. Nixon and Kissinger met with Mao Zedong and Zhu Enlai in Mao's private house. Mao later stated that he was impressed by the US president and suspicious of Kissinger. Though the cameras that accompanied the first lady Americans were able to view many Chinese landmarks, such as the Forbidden City. Nixon also had many other foreign policies, civil rights changes, space changes, and many other domestic changes, but it would take too long to go through them all. In January of 1972, Nixon announced his bid for re-election. Richard Nixon would face George McGovern Nixon defeated McGovern, winning 49 out of 50 states and over 60% of the popular vote, one of the largest victories in U.S. history. Despite this, his presidency would soon come to an abrupt end. On June 17, 1972, five men were caught breaking into the Democratic Party headquarters. These men sought to bug the building and find anything they could to undermine Nixon's opponents. Mark Felt, the associate director of the FBI, worked under the code name Deep Throat to capture the men. He was able to link them to the Nixon administration, and despite the president downplaying the incident, 48 officials were convicted. To uncover the truth, Alexander Butterfield texted against, tested, testified under congressional oath that Nixon had a system to record his conversations, but when produced, an 18.5-minute section was wiped. Rosemary Wood, the president's secretary, said that this was an accident done while transcribing the tapes, but many people were not fooled. Nixon continued to fight for his innocence while losing public support, even from his own party. On October 10, 1973, Vice President Agnew resigned and was later found guilty of bribery, money laundering, and tax evasion when he was governor of Maryland. General Ford became the new vice president. On May 9th, 1974, the House Judiciary Committee opened impeachment hearings and the Supreme Court demanded that the full tapes be released. His personal finances and tax records were also released, which forced Nixon to pay $465,000 2.4 million today in taxes in 1947. Soon after this, a tape that would, become to, that would come to be known as the smoking gun tape was released. This tape showed that Nixon had relation to the burglars and stated that he would do his best to thwart the investigations against them. On August 9th, 1974, 
Richard Nixon officially resigned as president of the United States facing impeachment. He later became the first to ever do so. Despite this, he continued to defend himself while telling the American people not to judge the new president, Gerald Ford, based on his reputation. Nixon was paid only $200,000 in salary expenses, a reduction from the expected $850,000. He was described as being empty and was quoted as being a soul in torment by his biographer. Ford then granted Nixon a full pardon, removing any possibility of indiction. After coming down with felvitis, he decided to have surgery to help it. Upon becoming stronger, he tried to return to public life, but was unsuccessful. The public and many political officials bore him ill will, and his personal finances were dwindling. On top of that, Pat Nixon, his wife, died on June 22, 1993, from lung cancer. After this, he founded the Nixon Center in 1994 and had it become a think tank for America. On April 18, 1994, the former president planned to eat dinner as normal, but instead he suffered a stroke causing, caused by a blood clot. He fell into a coma and died on April 22, 1994, at the age of 81. On April 27, he was buried next to his wife at, Linkson, at Nixon Library. Some people present were Henry Kissinger, Gerald, Gerald Ford, Ronald Reagan, George H.W. Bush, and Pete Wilson. Thousands of people appeared to pay their respects to the former president, and his funeral procession went on for three miles. Richard Nixon was perhaps the most controversial president in American history. The combination of his undeniably important domestic and foreign work and the Watergate scandal cemented him as an unforgettable president. He undeniably worked hard to improve US foreign relations, boost the economy, and end Pacific violence. Despite this, Watergate is the largest US scandal to date, and so is not one we can forget so easily. His determination to undermine his opponents and his pardon revealed how corrupt our government can be and how important it is to safeguard it. Now for the answer to my quiz question. The name Watergate was coined for the scandal as it was the name of the building the five thieves attempted to break into. Eventually, the term Watergate came to be referred to all the aspects of the scandal and, it, and because of the popularity of the, of the name, the suffix gate was used to name many future scandals. Thank you for listening to this week's episode. I hope you all enjoyed this episode, learned something new, and remember that history exists for the future.